Welcome to the really useful podcast. I'm Christian Corley from MakeYourShop.com, and with me is my colleague James Frew. Hi, James. How are you doing? Hello. How are you doing, Christian? I'm good. 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 Good man. Good man. Now we're uh, here to discuss a number of tech-related topics. But re- remember, this is the really useful podcast. So this isn't geeky stuff. This is stuff that's relevant to everybody that happens to be about technology. So we're not going to be confusing you with complicated terms everything is going to be clearly explained and you're basically you know it's it's a tech podcast for everybody so let's kick off we're going to be talking about sim card swapping and that's a security risk um, focusing on um, smartphones Uh, we're going to be looking at ways to download videos from facebook if you ever tried to uh, grab a video or something you like from facebook and found that it wasn't quite possible we're going to look at that we're also going to be um, finding out whether or not your smartphone is listening to you or not and what evidence there is either way james is going to be telling us about um tech and sleep and various things you can do to uh, manage your sleep and uh we're uh, also going to uh yeah, that's pretty much it. And anything else that comes along, we're going to talk about it as well. So uh, let's kick that off with SIM card swapping, uh, which is uh, it's kind of a security risk. It's been around for, like, potentially around for a while, but it's something that's more recently taken off uh, as as a risk to pretty much everybody. Um, it's basically a means for a hacker to pretend that they're you and get a new sim card sent out to them rather than you As, do you know anyone who's ever been hit by this james i don't know but i have i have read a lot about it and it doesn't surprise me that it happens um no, so, no. so one of the main reasons that uh this is important is because these days you get a lot of uh, authentication codes to your phone so you know when you log into your bank or something they'll send you a text that says this is who you are and yeah. enter this number now, if someone has your phone number or your SIM card, then they can get that number. And if they can get that number, they can pretend they're you and then get into all your accounts and things like that. And so that's why this is particularly important and why it's so relevant now with so many places switching to two-factor authentication uh, using your phone number. It is indeed. Um, you know, obviously, once they get your SIM card, then they get access to a load of stuff that's personal to you. And, there's, you know, it, it's, it's a big gaping doorway into your digital life there are things that you can do you can change your two-factor authentication method so that it uses an authenticator app such as um, Authy or google authenticator rather than sending an sms message to your phone um amazon send sms messages to your phone and yeah, yeah it's it's a good idea to change that particularly amazon the online shopping with amazon yeah facebook also tries to default you to your phone number for uh, authentication but you can set up a third-party authenticator which i would recommend doing because i think it was last year facebook got caught out uh, actually using that to send you spam and things like that and to use Ooh, your phone okay. number in a way that they said they wouldn't do so if you don't like face the idea of facebook having your information even if it says they won't use your phone number for anything else other than the authenticator I'd still recommend switching to something like Authy or Google Authenticator for Facebook. Sure. Trustworthy, trustworthy old Facebook there. Yep. yep. <laughs> uh, another option or another layer of security you can add to your phone is to set up a pin with your mobile carrier, uh, which will make it harder for the hacker to gain access to it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that's one option. You can separate your phone number from your accounts. 
So instead of using your phone as a way to change your passwords, <clears throat> just do it another way. Mm-hmm. Um, voice over IP, Skype, um, as we're recording this. Use encrypted messaging, um, for WhatsApp, for instance, iMessage, Signal. And generally beware of phishing scams, which is this idea of uh, tricking you into giving information away that you wouldn't normally give to a stranger, but because they're posing as an establishment, um, it, it becomes all too easy for them to walk away with your personal detail. And I mean, that is a conversation for another day entirely, mm-hmm. but uh, it, has, it has rather become a kind of a subset of security. You know, it's, it's part of a hack rather than the full hack that it used to be. Yeah. It's now just one one tool in the hacker's armory. Um, the um, the details we've just been giving you there, courtesy of uh, our colleague Emma Roth, and uh, I'm I would be really interested to to know if I if I know anyone who's been caught out by swim swim shopping <laughs> swim shopping. Uh, <laughs> indeed, that or even yeah. sim swapping. Um, so there's one thing that I would say that you could also do. Um, yeah. So. There are services like I know on Android, there's a service called Hushed, which is an app that you can mask a real phone number with one of their temporary phone numbers. So if you wanted to use one of their numbers, then it means that even if your SIM card switched, uh, if the text message is sent to there, they still won't be able to get it. Ah, nice trick. That's good. That's good. Uh, I think... Yeah, I mean, you've, it's, it is it is a, something that needs to be preventative because it's very difficult to tell when it happens. Um, I would imagine the only time you'll know that this happens if the ISP or mobile carrier, rather, isn't getting in touch with you to say, you know, in the same way that if your password's changed on something, they're not getting in touch with you to say that there's been a request for a new PIN. Um, the only way you're going to know is when you stop getting calls and lose your, your internet access yeah. and your network access um, to make calls. So... Yeah, it is. Um, it is one of those things that clearly needs more input and more 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 control from the carriers. Mm-hmm. So hopefully that's something we'll see over time. Or not too much time though, obviously. Uh, on the Facebook anyway, and uh, I mean this isn't a. Uh, I suppose there is something complaining about it, and that is that it's difficult to download videos from Facebook, even that's once true. you've uploaded. Yeah. It's it's a big pain, or ones that you're in that you've been tagged in, etc. Uh, there are several ways of doing this, though. Um, there's a good s- selection of seven uh, that our colleague Dan Price has compiled, um, which range from a tool called Downvids, fbdown.net, uh, which you paste a Facebook video link into. Um, now, so most of these only work for public videos. Yeah. So the, the next one that he suggests is something called private Facebook videos. And what that does is you have to open the page's source code and you copy it all and then paste it into this other website. And from there, it should be able to download it because it kind of thinks that you're already logged in and that's what yeah. the code is. Um, he does note that the downside to this is that it kind of raises some ethical and moral questions about whose data you're downloading, whether you should be downloading it, whether it's yours to download. Um, so it's possible, but it may not always be recommended that you use this method. Yeah, it's a tricky one, isn't it? I mean, if you're in if you're in something and you want to keep a record of that, but you're not being it's not yours to download. Maybe you want to keep it. So you know, it's it is entirely up to you. Yeah. 
It, it, it is a, yeah, I mean, it's not something that we're going to call for you. Um, other tools, keep vids. Um, a lot of these are ones that work for YouTube as well. I wonder, do you recall a few days last year in 2018 when it wasn't possible to download videos from YouTube? Yes, I remember there being uh, some kind of kerfuffle about that. Yeah, and then um, now you can do it again. Mm. So it's YouTube and these companies, the, these, these websites that provide the, the tools for you to download videos from YouTube. Yeah. So obviously YouTube and Google, by extension, don't like the fact that if you download them, then you're probably not going to see any ads, which is how they make all their money. So I can see why they're incentivized to try and block them. But uh, it's good news for you and for all of us that they're available at the moment because it means that you can download a video, watch it whenever you want. Um, there could also be another motivation for Google trying to shut these down. And that's because if you subscribe, if you subscribe to, is it YouTube Red or has that been superseded by something else? I can't remember all the names. But if you subscribe to the premium YouTube, you can actually download videos for offline viewing. So right. it may be them trying to nudge you towards spending more money on a recurring subscription too. Yeah. Again, the thing with that is that if you've uploaded something to YouTube like 10 years ago and you don't have access to that account anymore, yeah. all you've, the only option you've got to download it, if you've lost it from your hard drive or whatever, or from your phone or however you uploaded it, is to use a download tool to get it back onto your computer. Yeah. Well, I'm in a similar-ish situation at the moment. So I uploaded a couple of private family videos that I've only kept private. Fortunately, I still have access to the account, but I lost the originals of those videos. So at some point, I am going to need to download them. So maybe I'll do that sooner rather than later so that uh, yeah. Google doesn't uh, keep them from me. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, um, ways to download videos from Facebook. It's, it seems to be pretty straightforward. Now, uh, back to smartphone security. A um, couple of years ago, it came to my attention that I was getting some unusual adverts on my phone. Uh, they were basically related to shows that were on TV at the moment or earlier that day, mm -hmm. which was kind of strange because I wasn't Googling for those shows. Um, there was like adverts for stage versions of children's programs. And at the time I had two very young children. Uh, there was adverts and news items as well google news items for shows that i have never googled because they're the shows that my wife watches and i have very little interest in um soap <laughs> office so that got me looking into this in a bit more detail and it it transpired that a lot of people believe that their phones are listening to them whether it was a google <laughs> thing or a facebook thing and um it's something that hasn't gone away basically i've revisited this um, topic recently and um updated the old article from makeuseof.com and you know facebook say they're not google claims categorically that it doesn't use any utterances from when the okay google hot word is used and yet these adverts happen now, a quick look at the comments for this article. There are 387 comments, the vast majority of which are people about this happening. So, so I'll say that I, until, well, I have always been on the side that it's probably coincidence. Yeah. Your phone isn't listening to you. Imagine the kind of computing power and processing that it would require 
to understand every single bit of conversation happening on every phone in the world. So I kind of went with that view. But then I went to CES in Las Vegas with Make Use Of. And so I was in America and it's in our environment I've not really been in before. I've been there once or twice, but never with a smartphone. And um, then I open Instagram and I start getting these these adverts. And uh, we also have this uh, YouTube show called uh, Tech Geeks Try Stuff, which we were filming. And we were trying out different ice creams. And there was one by a brand called, I think it was Briars, that I've never heard of before. But we were chatting about it. I tried it and we've recorded the video. Later on, I open Instagram and there's an advert for that very specific ice cream which I have never Googled, I have never tried, I've never even heard of until that day. So that one was a bit odd, you know, but then I thought, well, maybe it's doing something like, okay, you went to Walmart, you bought ice creams, you were kind of in that area of the shop, and then it sort of did that. So that was one example, put it aside. Then I come back to the UK, I go shopping, and I buy some soft cheese. Now, I haven't bought soft cheese for maybe five or six years, and then I get home, and I have an advert for that very specific brand of soft cheese. So I'm not sure what to believe anymore because those two examples <laughs> are weirdly specific and yeah. they're things that I've never encountered before. So it's not like it could be putting together correlations of, oh, you tend to be in these places, you follow these people, you do this sort of stuff because uh, they're completely out of my regular my regular time. So did you, yeah. did you, did you buy the cheese from a cheese shop? I didn't know it was a grocery oh. shop. Yeah. The only thing I can think with the first, I mean, I'm thrown by the second one. The first one, I thought maybe someone else had perhaps Googled it and maybe some location thing mm. had honed in and decided that everyone was eating ice cream. But then you've got the other thing is like, if you're already eating ice cream, why advertise ice cream? That's true. So even if it is this thing, it's not making a very good decision. No. But that said, like it, it definitely flipped my um my view on yeah, before I was firmly in the it's not doing it camp. Now I'm in the I'm not so sure. Yeah. I don't know what to believe anymore. Yeah, it is. And it is a perplexing thing. And so Google doesn't help themselves with this very much. So a few years ago, Google bought the security camera company Nest. And just last week, um, sorry, a few uh, while ago, they released a couple of new hardware products for your home. So they're security cameras. And it turns out Google hid in a microphone in them without telling anybody. And this all came to a head last week. And Google said, oh, we uh, weren't hiding it from you. We just uh, forgot to tell you that it was there. But don't worry, it's, it's definitely not listening. It's probably, it, I mean, it's probably not listening. Don't worry about the fact that we didn't tell you it's there. But uh, yeah, so they're sneaking products into people's homes. And you kind of have to take them at their word that they're not listening, which mm, I'm not sure how I feel about that. No, it's, yeah, when you've got a company that has messed up with privacy and honesty as many times as Google has, mm. uh, yes, it is very difficult to take them at face value without major reservations, I think, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, yeah, so if uh, any of you have, suspicions that your phone has been listening and serving adverts based on what you said rather than where you've been or what you've searched things that you specifically said or audio in your environment uh, let us know um you can get in touch with us via facebook or twitter you can uh, 
leave us a note, uh, a comment on makeyourself.com where this um, podcast will appear. Uh, or you can just go via the show notes below the show. Um, go and find the article um, specifically about smartphone listening and uh, leave your thoughts there. We'd be um, fascinated to uh, learn if you uh, have noticed this. Um, James, do you know we've got over 5,000 subscribers on the YouTube channel? That is incredible. Yeah, that's so if you watch, yeah, that's uh, just just for the really useful podcast. So uh, everyone who's uh, watching this via YouTube, hello, big hello to you. Uh, we um, have uh, a few more things to talk about on today's show, um, but just to let you know that you can subscribe to us via iTunes or Spotify, and you'll also find the um, the show page at transistor.fm. Now, Firefox Sync is a tool which I have played with, but I've never really... Uh, the thing about Firefox, I mean, I used to use Firefox permanently until probably Google Chrome 15 or so, and then I moved to Google Chrome. And I do tend to use Firefox occasionally when I'm using Linux, but I don't know, something about... It's, it's, I'm finding it difficult to stick with Firefox. So are you, I, are you a big user? I wasn't. I like you. I sort of migrated there from Netscape uh, to Firefox. Yeah. Um, fifteen or so years ago. But then when Chrome came along, it just blew everything else out of the water, and it was so fast and so good. But then, you know, over the past two years or so, I've been trying to decouple myself from some of Google's products, and mm. Firefox has a very firm stance on privacy. And so I went back to it as my daily my daily browser. So Firefox Sync is actually something that I use pretty much every day. And although there's things I miss about Chrome, the features of Firefox and particularly Sync, I found so enormously helpful. So uh, yeah, I'm very, very glad to have made it back to my daily browser. So Firefox Sync, what, what advantages does that bring to using the Firefox browser? So it's very similar to Google Chrome's Sync that syncs uh, bookmarks, passwords, and all that kind of stuff to your phone and between devices. And so you get pretty much exactly the same with Firefox Sync. Um, the difference is though, is that it's not connected to, so your Google account is a big sprawling thing that contains all of your search history, pretty much everything you do and interact with with Google yeah. is on there. Firefox Sync is a very specific account that only exists to do this. So there's no other information gathered about you and all it does is sync between the things that you tell it to between devices. Um, so that includes things like bookmarks and passwords and a bit of browsing data if you choose to. But my favorite feature about it is that you can send tabs and windows between different devices where you're logged in. So right. if I'm on my mobile, I can go, oh, I've seen this page, but I want to look at it when I'm back on the computer or on the MacBook or whatever it is that I'm doing. And you just press send and then it sends it to that device. And so as soon as you start Firefox on that device, it's there ready for you. And I found that tremendously useful. And although Firefox, um, sorry, Firefox's parent company Mozilla, I think, purchased uh, the Read It Later service Pocket, which I used to use a lot, I've now found that I don't use Pocket at all because I just send those uh, tabs and windows to my different devices where I need it. And I found that so helpful. I know it sounds like a very small thing, but it, it's actually been really helpful. And it's the kind of thing that you use a service like push bullet for on android right. is sort of moving those things around and i found that i just don't need anything else other than firefox sync 
That's very interesting. Now, um, over at makeusoft.com, we have a, a detailed look at Firefox, in courtesy of uh, one, one of our regular, really useful podcast co-host, Ben Stegner. Uh, so he looks into Firefox Sync in quite a lot of detail, and he seems pretty pleased with it. So uh, I don't know. I think I might give this a go. I've, I have been thinking about using the Firefox browser on my phone as well. So I always, I always then, what happens then is I then think, oh, should I use Opera? And then mm. I'm 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 lost in this well of indecision and just stick with Chrome. Yeah. Too many browsers. That's the problem. Yeah, or you could switch to Brave. Which yeah, is, or, uh, or, which is a new yeah. privacy focused browser. Yeah, and there's also the, the, the sort of the other opera, isn't that? Um mm. uh whose name escapes me at the moment. As in Vivaldi. Vivaldi, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, you know, there's there's too many good alternative options. Uh yes, it is obviously something that needs a bit of thought which is strange because you kind of you think oh well it's just browser but it is actually it's quite a, it's quite an important decision to make yeah which browser you are going to use and which 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 company you're essentially supporting by using their browser and what information you prepared for them to have about you yeah which is probably an entirely different podcast <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh listen we're recording this at uh we started around 9 a.m. this morning. It's mm-hmm. uh, Monday, the 25th of February. I've got to be honest with you. I had an absolutely dreadful night's sleep uh, thanks to my son waking up in the middle of the night claiming that his leg didn't work. Um, oh, that must have been quite disturbing for him. Yeah, it, well, he's seven, so it's kind of part yeah. of the course at that yeah. age, I think. Um, I'm, I'm a big believer in getting as much sleep as you need, um, but not necessarily all in one go. Uh, before I start work on the morning, I, I really do need to have a good night's sleep. Otherwise, I'll be back asleep by 11 o'clock. Um, <laughs> now you, you, you've, but I've never really paid that much attention to my sleep because I've always felt that um, was, I once read that, you know, you're, off, you're often asleep when you don't realize you're asleep, mm-hmm. when you think you're awake. So I, I tend to just let it come to me if I'm going to fall asleep. And if I'm not going to yeah. fall asleep, then I'm, I am at least resting. But I've never really taken that much attention notice of my sleep Rose, i know that you have been recording your sleep patterns haven't you james yes i have been so um it all started uh, probably about six or seven years ago when i found an app called sleepers android i use android so it makes sense and um that records on your phone uh, your phone sits next to your bed and it can record um how much you're moving the kind of noises you're making and roughly speaking the quality of your sleep and I started tracking this because I became quite sick in around 2013 and I, I was curious to see how the my condition was related to my sleep and whether my sleep was affecting it or vice versa or, you know trying to get a handle on on the kind of data that I could gather and over time um, it's become easier to track your sleep so now you can use things like the Fitbit uh, pretty much every Fitbit you buy has sleep tracking now and so I've pretty much transitioned over to that because I'm wearing a Fitbit all day anyway. So okay. I may as well use that for sleep. Um, but then recently I came across a product called Eversleep, um, which is a dedicated sleep tracker. So it's not part, it's not got any other use other than to track your sleep. So you wear it on your wrist and it looks a bit like a watch. But the main point of it is that there's a little cable that runs up to your index finger where you wear it. And that's for, um, I'm going to say this wrong, an oximeter. I bet that's not how you say it. Anyway, um, it monitors your blood oxygen level. So you have it on during sleep and it tries to work out 
how well you're sleeping based on how you're breathing and how much right. oxygen is in your blood. Now, the, the main benefit of this is because conditions like sleep apnea, which is where you have trouble breathing in your sleep and you tend to wake yourself up over and over and over again because you're not breathing properly. Um, that will lead to lower oxygen levels in your blood. Yeah. So the idea is that you use the Eversleep, you can track how much this is happening. And then if you notice that you're having trouble possibly with sleep apnea, you can then go and get it um, looked at or treated or diagnosed. So it's not a diagnostic tool, but sleep apnea um, diagnosis is very expensive because you have to go into a sleep um, a sleep lab and spend a couple of nights there and you have to have things connected to your body and all that sort of stuff. So it's not an experience that you necessarily want to have on a whim. But if you get the Eversleep, it's about $200. And so it's quite significantly cheaper than doing that test. So you can get the device, see if you've got sleep apnea or any other sleep issues. And then if it does kind of flag anything up, then you can go and get the test. But it saves you having to spend unnecessary money and time and uh, making yourself uncomfortable in a sleep lab. Okay. Uh, so how did you find it work though, the uh, the Eversleep? How did it work for you? <clears throat> um, so because I already have a pretty good handle on how I, you know, I've been tracking for quite a few years. So I have a good handle on um, how I sleep and the kind of things that affect it. But before you go to sleep, you have to, so when you go to press record on your phone, um, you have to end, uh, do this survey which says things like, what did you do during the day? Did you drink coffee? How did you eat? When did you eat? And all that sort of stuff. And I drink a lot of caffeine. So it flagged up that, oh, maybe you didn't, maybe your sleep was affected by your caffeine. And I thought, well, that's, that could be true, but I, I, I personally don't think it is. But even if it was, how many times can you really get given that advice uh, before it becomes a bit unnecessary? You know, how many times do you need to be told, don't have a coffee after four, or yeah. um, make sure you go to bed early, or don't use your phone just before bed? So unless you're having a particular issue with your sleep, I'm not sure how relevant the suggestions it makes really are because right. they're the kind of things that you can get from a Fitbit or a cheaper device. So really, I think that the Eversleep is best for if you are waking up and you are feeling exhausted or you really find that you're having troubles with your sleep, then it's best to go for the Eversleep. But if you're just interested in maybe getting a bit better sleep, having a bit of better night's sleep, um, seeing what kind of things it might be influencing how well you sleep, then you're probably better off going for more of a standard fitness tracker or using your phone or something like that. So beyond the Eversleep, is there any particular app, um, I know you use a Fitbit, but is there any particular app that you've used that's been particularly useful or valuable in monitoring your sleeping? So I wish I could speak for iOS, but I can't. Um, so as I mentioned, I used Sleep as Android for probably about four years. Um, I thought it was excellent. It was easily the best app I found to do this. Um, and it has its own cloud service, so you can access things on the web and you can download and see all your data and trends and things. For someone that is quite keen on data, it was great for me because it meant that I could see everything. Okay. Um, but it also has quite a, si not simplistic, but it's an easy to use interface in the app, so it's not like it's overwhelming and complicated. You're not having to sift through reams of data every day, and it does pull up suggestions or information that you might find useful um, right. in the app so it's just if you want the data it's there and I, I thought that was excellent because it means that it's easy to use for most people and then if you really want the data it's not like they're withholding it from you which to be honest Fitbit does so you can't see any of your detailed sleep tracking you just get the one graph um, that they give you on your dashboard 
So, you know, there's a balance to be had, but it kind of depends on what you want to track it for. Okay. Okay, fair enough. So um, so that's um, sleeping. If you've got trouble sleeping, there's some interesting uh, apps and mentions there. And uh, maybe the Eversleep is for you. So take a look at that on makeuseof.com. There's a competition for that as well, which will probably close. Oh, it's probably due to close quite soon, actually. So um, hot foot it there via the show notes and take it, take take your chances with that giveaway. Uh, James, is there anything uh, interesting that you're up to at the moment tech wise? Um, so I've actually been uh, on a mission to uh, cut back on some of my services. Oh, really? Um, yeah. So um, I know this is listened to around the world. So, But you may have heard uh, last year there was an uh, EU regulation called GDPR brought in, which is the General Data Protection Regulations. And that basically gives people in Europe the right to delete all of your information. So when you press go to a website and you press delete account, before they were under no real obligation to delete it. All you had to do was take them at the word that they were removing your information. But now you've actually got a legal power to get them to delete it. And I've kind of been considering how many services and things I've accrued over the years. And so I've just been blitzing it through everything Whoa, okay. to try and get rid of every service that I don't use, any website, any app, literally anything. I've just been going, going for it. Um, and it's been quite nice. It's a bit like a, a digital declutter because it forces you to reevaluate, like, do I really need this service or um, how many different versions of an office type product do I need? Yeah. You know, because if you've got a Google account and most people use you know, Microsoft Office, then you've already got two. Yeah. Um, and how many different alternatives do you need? I, at one point I had seven. So, wow. Um, yeah between loads of different services and the thing is i'm never using them so i figured i may as well go for it and what about you well this week i have uh, uh it's quite amusing actually i got into a conversation with someone on twitter a couple of weeks ago regarding the benefits of this oh raspberry pi as a desktop replacement for standard office and school tasks Mm -hmm. specifically for schools because of budget issues with schools in the uk um so obviously one of these is around 35 pounds and you know for for, you know with keyboard mouse and monitor it's going to be probably going to set you back about 100 pound but even so that is less than spending 300 pounds a time plus maintenance uh with, with a contractor um you know a contracted provider on business hire or whatever for, for a school for computers in an age of um, shrinking budgets this seems to me to be a good solution now the discussion this is the three model three the raspberry pi 3 model b plus that i'm holding here um, which is what i'm going to be using for the rest of the week as my main computer oh that's an interesting challenge yeah isn't it just so I'll, i have got a few things that i need to tidy up for instance i'm recording this on a laptop Mm-hmm. Um, and I've got a review that I need to finish and I've got another review that I need to start. So that'll be a mix of laptop, tablets, smartphones, digital cameras to get that stuff sort of like started off and finished. But for editing and writing and image editing and everything that I do and Slack, I'm going to be using a Raspberry Pi, running Raspbian Stretch and hoping for the best, basically. So, That's a yeah. very interesting challenge. I, I, I'm curious to see how uh, how that pans out. 
That that sounds somewhat sadistic, but thank you. <laughs> <laughs> At the end of the week, you'd just be crying, going, "I want my computer back." Yeah, totally. <laughs> I honestly think the spec is. I know it's an ARM processor, so there are differences there, but on a par with a computer, a desktop computer from around 20, 25 years ago. And there are places out there now that are using desktop computers from 20, 25 years mm -hmm. ago um, with varying degrees of success. I might be being uh, a little bit uh, unkind to the Raspberry Pi. It might be that it actually can handle better processing than that. It can handle better tasks than that, more recent tasks than that. It can do more than I'm possibly portraying it as at the moment. You know, so this model in particular, this is the latest model um, of Raspberry Pi B design, um, which is a credit card size one. So, yeah, I'm just going to go with it and see what I can do. I know I have an idea of various things I could do. You know, it has uh, a version, it has Chromium pre-installed these days. It has LibreOffice pre-installed. So the, the tools are there already. Uh, whether it can handle the load and whether I need to expand the storage of the hard drive or not. I'll find out. But uh, yeah, that's the plan for the next week. That's really interesting. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I, I'm slightly looking forward to it. Uh, <laughs> so there you go. Um, that is the Really Useful Podcast. We will be back next time. As ever, get in touch with us uh, through the usual channels on Twitter, uh, to makeuseof.com, or, or to me, at the gadget monkey James, you're on Twitter as well, aren't you? I am, yeah. I'm Jim Jam Through, which is F-R-O-O. <laughs> yeah excellent i love the comedy names that the, <laughs> the podcast team seem to have on twitter um there's yourself there's um gavin phillips with gavin spavin, spavin and yeah. uh, ben stegner with stegnosaurus oh it's all good stuff um <laughs> <laughs> and uh yeah so uh yeah drop us a line and remember if you're not subscribing already um and you've just stumbled upon it you can find us on itunes and on spotify and probably one or two other places by now and if you feel anything that we've talked about in this pretty compact 30 minute or so show is going to be interesting or relevant to uh, anyone you know who isn't that au fait with technology this passes their way um tell them you know listen to the bit that they need to listen to and you know we're here to help people we're, we're the tech podcast for technophobes basically that's our thing so until next time it's goodbye from me and goodbye from james goodbye <laughs>